Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm extremely excited for this week's episode with the one and only Marissa Peer. Marissa is incredible. She's authored over four best-selling books and has over 30 years of experience as one of the foremost hypnotherapists and psychologists on the planet. She has worked with royalty, with celebrities, with Olympic athletes. She is one of the most sought-after hypnotherapists and is an absolute mind architect when it comes to reframing and reprogramming your mind beyond limiting beliefs. So if, like me, you have thoughts that hold you back, I think this will be an extraordinarily insightful episode for you. Marissa and I talk about everything from how to reprogram your mind, the power of affirmations, the difference between affirmations and the law of attraction, how to actually uh, put those affirmations into play and, and and the necessary elements for creating change in your life. We talk about establishing new thought patterns and how to change limiting beliefs into empowering beliefs and the power of our thoughts and our feelings in creating our reality. I also get very vulnerable in sharing some of the ways in which I find my beliefs hold me back. And Marissa is extraordinarily gracious in presenting a reframe, which has actually led to me uh, approaching days differently such that I am changing my own mind. This conversation is extremely rich, and I think you'll get a tremendous amount of value. I can't wait to share it with you. But before I do, I want to give a shout out to two of my preferred companies. The first is Lifecycle. Lifecycle is my favorite adaptogenic mushroom tonic. They have a biohacker kit, which has five different mushrooms. I did an incredible episode with the founder, Julian Mitchell, which I highly recommend you check out. It's one of the mind keys. And we go into the into depth around the efficacy of different adaptogenic mushrooms from reishi to lion's mane. There's been a tremendous amount of research coming out lately around the cognitive benefits of lion's mane. I take it to improve my sleep. I've noticed that I've gotten deeper sleep, more REM, stage three, four sleep. And it's, it's super high quality, organic, grown in the U.S., and it's, it's become a part of my daily routine, and I frankly love it. Um, I highly recommend you check them out. It's lifecycle.com, L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L.com. And if you put in Peak Mind 20 at checkout, you get 20% off your order. This episode is also brought to you by ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a meat subscription company that distributes high-quality meat you can trust. 100% grass-fed and pasture-raised beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage-bred pork, and wild-caught Alaskan salmon directly to your door. ButcherBox believes in better. There are so many um, areas around the country. I just drove uh, my van from Texas to uh, L.A., and there's so many areas where they just have access to poor-quality grain-fed, inhumanely raised meat. And the the reason I like ButcherBox is it's humanely raised, antibiotic, and hormone-free. And you can trust their their product. It's uh, I highly recommend it if you are a meat eater that you that you check it out. It's delivered directly to your door. Again, it's a hundred percent grass fed, grass finished, and raised free of antibiotics and hormones, humanely and pasture raised. So check them out, butcherbox.com. And if you put in 
Peak Mind at checkout, you not only get a nice discount, but they're always running promotions depending on when you're listening to this episode. And I highly recommend it. Um, check them out, butcherbox.com. And without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce the one and only Marissa Peer. All right, I'm here with Marissa Peer. Marissa, it's an honor to have you on the show. Well, it's an honor to be on the show. Thanks for asking me. <laughs> yeah, we met by context through a mutual friend, Vision. And uh, I've always been uh, fascinated by our conversations. And I did a deep dive into your background, which is just so, um, so fascinating. And especially for my audience, which is deeply curious about this notion of peak mind and, and cognitive optimization, uh, you're one of the foremost authorities in the field. So it's a true honor. And I wanted to ask you to sort of start off with, I've really been curious lately about how my thoughts and, and my limiting beliefs have held me back. And I've done a great deal of, uh, for lack of a better term, personal development work. I meditate, uh, you know, I've, I've done a variety of different workshops, but I still find that there's, you know, in the meditation community, they talk about our conscious thoughts being, you're just a small fraction mm-hmm. of our operating system, for lack of a better term, like an iceberg. It's just, yeah. like the, uh, just that bit above the sea. And so I know that my subconscious beliefs, and I'm, I'm sure for many listening, uh, at times can hold me back. Can you start off by just sharing a little bit about the efficacy of hypnosis? How, how does it actually work? Well, you were just talking before about the subconscious mind. And it, the best thing to imagine is that your subconscious mind is like the Ferrari and you're the driver, but you've got no experience in driving a car. Now you've got this Ferrari, and you don't really know how to operate it. And you can get it to go up and down, maybe go into a tree, but if you could operate a Ferrari, your life would be amazing because you could make that Ferrari do great things. So it's a bit like getting a great computer with no instruction book. So the subconscious mind is like a Ferrari, like a computer, like a stallion. And the conscious is like, oh, I, I don't really know how to operate this thing. Where's the manual? And so if you had a manual, your life would be extraordinarily different. And hypnosis is the manual because hypnosis takes you into the subconscious mind and you get to ask it questions. Why do I always get headaches? Why am I self-destructive? Why do I sabotage? Why can't I find love? What is it that I keep eating cakes all the time and I really want to be fit and healthy? And if you ask the mind in the right way, it will actually tell you because it knows everything. Because here's the difference in the subconscious and the conscious subconscious mind is always on record it's never on pause it never runs out of batteries it no it remembers everything and the conscious really doesn't like the conscious is where did I put my shoe where's my passport oh my god I can't find my keys I'm gonna mess this up I haven't left enough planning I've forgotten my glasses I can't read the map where I'm going but the subconscious mind always knows so sometimes you have to what I call lose your mind and come to your senses forget about the conscious and just go into the subconscious. And if you could understand how to run your subconscious, you'd have an amazing life. And one of the things about the subconscious that most people don't know, and they really should, is that every word you speak and every thought you think is a blueprint that your mind has no choice but to meet. So when you go, you know, I went out the other day with wet hair in the cold, now I'm gonna get the flu, or I ate that chicken and I realized it was a bit pink and I'm going to get sick. Or, you know, my friend's daughter came around and she was, had a cold. Now I'm going to get sick. When you say I'm going to get sick, that is a direct instruction to the mind. Get sick. It's like saying I'm not going to think about cakes. 
The mind doesn't understand not and don't. It only understands words that make a picture. Don't think about cakes. Don't think about falling. Don't think about messing. Don't think about going bright red and messing everything up. To the mind that says, think about going bright red and messing everything up. So it just it's a little understanding of the workings of the mind for you to have whatever you want. Hmm. I love that because I, I, I have found... I've definitely had the don't get sick. I don't mm, want to get sick. And sure. as soon as I say the don't, of course, I've mm. sort of planted that seed. Yeah. And then inevitably it will happen. And I have had experiences actually, of course, I take preventative measures and vitamins and things like that. But where I actually said, as soon as I saw the thought, it's like I arrested yeah. it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and noticing it, you know, because sometimes it, it almost, it becomes a prevailing mm. part of the operating system. Yeah. But we don't actually arrest it. And some, sometimes I find if I do arrest it, and I consciously retune it, yeah. I, can, I can shift course. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that's in any way analogous to some of the things you do with, um, in, your, in, your, in your therapeutic work, but how, does it, how do you actually start to think about kind of consciously catching yourself when you have some of these thoughts yeah. and starting to, for lack of a better term, rewrite the operating system? Well, a good thought is to ask other people, hey, what do I say all the time? They go, you say, I'm going to do that if it kills you. You always say, I'll do that if it's the last thing I'll do. And you go, really? That's a crazy thing. Why don't I say, I'll do that because I really want to. I'm going to do that, whatever it takes. But don't add on if it kills me, if it's the last thing I'll do. And your friend might go, you know what you say all the time? I'm losing my shit. Why would anyone ever say that? I would never (laughs) say that. I mean, it's like, really? Who wants to say that? But we say, this is killing me, this is stressing me out, this is driving me crazy, I'm going mad. And so we tend to say the same things all the time. You know, I have one client who's a model and her word is terrifying. Everything is terrifying. I've got this, you know, great job, it's terrifying. This guy hit him, it's terrifying. It's not really terrifying because... Isn't that what you wanted when you became a model and now you're going into acting and you're heading up a fragrance line? Why would you call it terrifying? It might be challenging. So listen to yourself. You'll catch yourself. When you start to think, I'm going to listen to how I speak, you'll suddenly be aware of how you speak. When you say to other friends, tell me the things I say all the time, they'll tell you. But once you're aware of language, you'll notice the things you say all the time. I'm going to mess this up. This is all going to go wrong. Nothing ever works out. Why why does everything go wrong? Then you go, it doesn't really go wrong, does it? I'm just saying that, but I'm making it go wrong. Mm -hmm. And when you notice what you're doing wrong, then you can put it right. It's a good thing to notice what you're doing wrong because then you get to put it right. So when I was a single parent, I decided to notice what I was saying. So I said to one little girl one day, stop being a baby. She said, mommy, I am a baby. And I'm like, of course you are. What a stupid thing to say. She said, but mommy, I'm a baby. I said, you, you know, you're so smart. Of course you're a baby. And one day she said to me, mommy, how does Philippa get on the ceiling? I'm like, what? She said, mommy, I, I need to know how she gets on the ceiling. I said, I don't know. And she said, because she's always going up the wall. And that was my nanny. And I realized then that my nanny was always saying, I'll go up the wall if you do, I'll go up the wall if you spill your toys or spill your juice. And I had to say, don't don't say that. You know, it's not a great expression. But my daughter taught me to listen. And I would say things as most parents do. Oh, this is driving me crazy. And I just, I'd get, it's a challenge. Having young kids is a challenge, but what a great challenge because mm-hmm. someone who hasn't got your kid, go, I'd love, I'm, I'd sell my house to have IVF just to have that kid. 
And so you learn that not only your problems, someone else's fantasy dream come true, it's what you wanted 10 years ago, now you got it. We start to bitch and moan, oh, I'm always on a plane, oh, I've got to unpack again, oh, I've got to see this client, oh, you know, the heating's just broken in my house, oh, my car has got something wrong with it. And we think, wow, what would I have given for this issue not that long ago? But never worry about finding the bad words that you say. It's a nightmare, it's a disaster, it's torture, it's hell. And you're really just talking about the commute to work, by the way. Because mm -hmm. then you think, well, hey, I've got a job. I, I like the commute. Yeah. We always say I want an hour to myself, then go crazy because we're on a freeway where there's so many things you can listen to, so many audios you can play. And you just have to accept and think, well, this is my hour to myself. Not the hour I choose, but... I can do something with that. I love that. It's it's such a that conscious reframing mm. is so powerful. Yeah. I've noticed. I you know it's perhaps simple but profound. Um, as I've taken on a gratitude practice, so I have a you know a morning meditation practice. But as I've start, I now before first thing in the morning, I'll think about five things I'm grateful for, and mm. oftentimes the most simple. Yeah, I do oh, that I'm too. I'm super grateful. I love it's that. Outside, I know. You know, like things that oftentimes we start to take for granted. Mm. You know, there was, I, I can't remember who it was, but it reminded me what you said, where, you know, people are like, oh, you know, you're on a plane and the Wi Fi goes out. And it's like, oh, I can't believe the Wi Fi goes out. <laughs> and then it's like, hang on, you're in a plane. I know. You, you, you could go from here to London in I six know. hours. You know, people 100 years ago would take a wagon and take them six months and they face peril. And, I know. And we often take for granted just the, how amazing, I actually, know. even the things uh, that, are, that are so basic are in our lives. I love that that idea of reframing. The question I have as I think about it though is so I've done a deep amount of reframing and I'm, I'm getting better at catching my thoughts. But as I think about things, just to speak vulnerably, like for example, um, relationship, you know, it just was Valentine's mm -hmm. Day here in the States. Um, and so I did, did some, some thinking about what are some of the limiting beliefs that mm. may be keeping me from relationship? What are some of the ideas that I would love to call forward in relationship? Or perhaps one that may be relevant for the audience. I know a lot of people have limiting beliefs around money and mm. finances. So many. And, and so, you know, whether it be your mother or your father, things were tight in the family. It's interesting because I find some people who have been really in extreme poverty, they, they make it their life's work to become rich. Mm. Not that that necessarily equates to happiness one way or the other, but definitely equates to more options in certain regards. And, and it's because they're like, I, they're, it's almost like they've taken on this identity and, and they have to, they're living into a, a whole new narrative. Mm. Whereas for some people, they grew up in the same circumstances circumstances and because of it they've so deeply programmed because like you said mm. maybe they were growing up and they yeah. heard their mother or their father talking about the bills or feeling less than or you know I remember when I was a kid there was a time where, th where things were tight financially and I ordered another orange juice and you know god bless my parents they were extraordinarily gracious but in that moment I remember you know my dad being like you know oh no we can't afford another you know no no yeah. he didn't say sure. we can't yeah, afford but, but yeah, he was he, you know and I, and it, it, it I do remember that like coming into my mind of like okay I got to be careful you know mm. like care you know being careful and so I think about how do those limiting beliefs hold me back from a worthiness of having more you know, and in that context, my question is for those who, who have perhaps a limiting belief, let's use money as an yeah. example, because I think it's, yeah. it's something everyone's deeply interested mm. in and brings up so much emotion times for yeah. people. 
Um, and obviously it can be a conduit for possibility. And in, in, in a way, it's just agnostic. It's energy. Mm. But yet we imbue it with such meaning. Um, what, is, what is your sense, using something like a use case like money, of how we can move, if someone has a negative frame, whatever yeah. that is, I'm not worthy, or they equate rich people with evil, or whatever it is that is their particular belief, if that's, if that's become embedded in their subconscious, what are the t- tools that one could utilize to, to reprogram that thought such that they can welcome more abundance into their life? Well, it's very hard to fix what you don't understand. So with money, here's a few things. First of all, you learn half of what you learn in your entire life before you're five. So when you have parents going, oh, I can't find the money, we don't have the money, I don't know where the money's coming from, that's a very strange thing to hear because I don't go... Yeah, I, I, need, um, I need to buy something. Where's the money? I can't find the money. I think I, I need to make the money to buy that. I need to earn it. Um, and if I do this, I'll earn that, and then I can buy that. But I wouldn't think I'm going to buy a house, but I don't know how to find the money. Where is it coming from? You'd think uh, I'm going to make that amount, and I'll have that amount, and I can buy that amount. But when children hear parents going, oh, I can't find the money. Where's the money coming from? We just can't get the money. They form a belief oh, money, you have to find it, and we can't find it. And then a lot of parents say, we're not the kind of people that have that money. We just can't get that money. And parents are a little bit smarter, because I was a single parent without any money when my daughter was a baby. And I never wanted her to go into that scarcity, because I see so many clients coming and going, oh, you know, I can't find the money. And so she goes, mommy, are we rich? I go, we're so rich, darling. We're so wealthy. We're so abundant. And if she would ask me for something, like, you know, I want she wanted to have this toy, and I'd go, well, you know, you have to earn, like, 200 stars to get that toy. And I would let her do things, empty the dishwasher, because she'd chip plates, and she wasn't really old enough. But it was very important that she understood, oh, you earn money, mm. and then you get what you want. And so several chip plates later and stuff that had been put away wrong, and she got her 200 stars. And by then, I'd got enough money to buy this thing, which she never played with, because she just so enjoyed gaining the stars, and that was really exciting for her. And so even with little tiny children, you have to find a way of saying... So it's very easy when you're going to go, no, no, we can't afford it, I can't buy that, I haven't got the money. And what you should say is, we'll have that at Christmas, you'll get that on your birthday. If you can get 500 stars then we'll, we'll get that. Even if it's hard, even if you have to get it secondhand, you know, and I was a single parent, I went to a charity shop, all, all my kids' toys there, she didn't care, she didn't even know, they, I wrapped them all up, and she had so much stuff, and it felt amazing, but it was all secondhand. In fact, at one time, I wrapped up half our original toys, she didn't even know, because I was always creating this abundance. Of course, as she got older, I couldn't have done that, but by then, I'd understood the mind that if you live in scarcity, I can't afford it, I t- switch the heating off, I, I don't, have, don't know where that's coming, I can't pay the bills, you actually create more scarcity. It takes quite a leap of faith to say, I'm wealthy, I'm abundant, but everything I told her, we are rich beyond our wildest dreams, we have so much. I didn't ever use the word money, go, we're wealthy, we're abundant, we have everything. And actually, it all came true, and that really wasn't a stroke of luck, because most people who are wealthy or find work hard and have extraordinary beliefs. It's a belief of what can I monetize, and I was a single parent, um, and I had enough money to put my daughter into private school, but only just. You know, I, I had a great job. I was a therapist. I had clients. It paid me very well, but I had a house to pay for, 
and I had to pay these school fees. And in England, school fees are not no cheap. Joke. I don't know cheap <laughs> anywhere. But I could do it. But I never had enough money for holidays. And she came up and go, Mummy, my, when are we going to our beach house? And when are we going skiing? And it was always like, and I, all my clients are going to tell me stories about, you know, my mum would get the three jars and I needed school shoes and she'd take the money out of the bills to buy the shoes and then she'd start to cry and now I can't spend money. And all my clients would tell me these stories and they were my teachers. I learned, oh, and then parents doing this juggling act of I can buy that but then I can't pay for that. I never want to do that. That well, I just have to make another income stream. What can I do? And I thought, well, I could write. So I became a writer. I wrote my first book. I wrote five best-selling books. Now I look back and think, if I had a husband going, here's a check for the school fees, mm. I never would have done it. I would have just carried on being a therapist because I was comfortable that stretched. And I'm so grateful that I was a single parent. But you see, I had to use my brain. How can I make another income? And I didn't say, oh my God, how can I find the money? I was very specific because that's the joy with the mind. If you ask it a specific, detailed question, how can I make another income that doesn't involve leaving the house, leaving my daughter in with babies at night? I don't want to go and work in a bar. How can I make another income while I'm at home with my daughter being a good mum? And it came to me right. So I wrote and I'm a great believer that when when you use your mind, the universe kind of works with you. And I thought, okay, I'll write. And then I was telling someone I was writing and they asked me to write for my daughter's magazine, school magazine, which was a good intro. And then I went to a dinner party and I was sitting next to a publisher. Then I went to a conference and met an agent and it all clicked into place. But it starts with that belief, I will write. You see, even saying, I could write, but what if I don't get any money? I could write, what if it's awful? I could write, but what if nobody likes it? You have to be very specific. I am writing a best-selling book. Mm. So you have to understand with a mind, it only works in the present tense. It only likes words that make a picture, very detailed. And if you can put passionate, exciting words in there and words in front of words, you give it a clear message. If you go... I want to do something that makes me rich. I mean, what does that even mean? I want more money. Well, hey, I got $5. There you go. <laughs> you have to be very specific. Imagine your mind is like someone who's come to do a job for you. You wouldn't go to a decorator and go, yeah, paint my house, please, because you go, I don't want it that color. What if you don't know you said paint it? Mm. You have to be specific. I am writing a best-selling book that everybody loves. I love writing this book. I find it engrossing and compelling and amazing. And of course, I had my moments of, oh my God, what if no one, but I'm going, I love it, it's great. So you've got to keep your mind in the direction you want it to go. Mm. And how you do that is with words. It's a bit like people who come to me and go, you know, I, I want to get pregnant. I'm desperate to be pregnant. I'm, really? Because I have clients who've been pregnant eight times with no baby. Why don't you stop saying I'm desperate to be pregnant? Because that's just the beginning. How about I am making a perfect, healthy, robust baby, my, my body's going to make it, carry it, grow it, deliver it, and I'm going to raise this great kid. Because your mind goes, I understand that. You want me to conceive a perfect baby, and then you want me to grow a perfect baby. And I know how to do that. I can make your lungs breathe and your heart beat. I can perform miracles in you all the time. But if you tell me you want me to grow a perfect baby, then I'll do it. But if you keep saying, I want to be pregnant, 
It's not the same. You know, it's like people going, I, I, want, I, want, I, want, a, I want a passion and a crazy, wild, crazy guy. Like, what, for how long? I mean, mm-hmm. is that for a night? That, that's great for a night, even a weekend. But is that really what you want to have a lifetime with? And a lot of women and men say, you know, I, I met someone and I manifested this night of passion. They never called me again. But that's what they said they want. I want, a, I want that person. I want them in my bed. I want a night with this person. And I had a friend, I lived in Notting Hill, there's a lot of rock stars there, and she lived in the same street as this guy. And she goes, I want him, I want him. And there was a great song at the time called, I want, I want that man. And she'd sing it to herself. And actually one day, which wasn't that extraordinary because they lived in the same street and he was drunk, he rang her doorbell instead of his. (laughs) And they had their night of passion. She never saw him again. I'm like, but if you could do that, why didn't you say I want to meet him? Our souls collide. I bump into him in the street. He lives in your street after all. He's the one. I'm the one. We just click and we're together forever. Instead of saying I want him in my bed, which you pulled off. So we really shortchange ourselves with our visualization. I need more money. I need someone to love me. But what kind of person do you want to love you? How long do you want to be loved for? you you got to... Tell the mind a story. I am finding my soulmate. We love each other. We're together forever. We complete each other. And if you give your mind very exciting words, it understands. But if you say, I don't want to eat cake anymore, the only word your mind really understands is cake. Yeah. Because your mind only understands words that make a picture. If you say to your kid, don't touch the white sofa, they, they are compelled now to touch the white sofa. Don't spill the juice. Well, they're going to spill it straight away because you just put the idea. Don't fall. Don't drop that. And we all do that. Don't mess it up. Don't forget what you've got to say. Don't, you know, go bright red and break out in a sweat. But that's your blueprint. So if every, if you knew that every word you said was a blueprint and every thought you thought was a blueprint, then you'd start to say different things. And then your blueprint would be amazing Could you because you, you would be running the blueprint. I love this. So I'm going to distill down just to make sure that I understood. Sure. Um, it's a, couple, a couple elements. One is I, I love this notion of every thought being important in mm. a way programming uh, the mind. And I like the I, I love this also this notion of what we're what we think about we need to be specific in what yeah. we're calling forward so whether it be finances as we're speaking of earlier or perhaps relationship you know if you just say i want this passion mm. but without being specific about the type of passion the type of person you know it's like also in finances you know i've, I've heard you know people say oh i want to be rich but but the actual exercise is to break down how much money do you actually yeah. need to create the life of your dreams yeah like what does that actually look like and then the the piece, and I, I want to get your thoughts on this, because I think there's an interesting distinction. Some of this falls into, although I think it's quite distinct, um, what people would listen to when they say the law of attraction in, mm. in terms of, oh, if I think a positive thought, but, oh, I did a vision board or I did the positive yeah. thinking and it didn't show up. Yeah. And one of the things that I liked about what you're talking about, for example, with your daughter is this notion of segmenting actions mm. and correlating it to results. Yeah. Because I've found, at least in my life, if I have a vision for something, it's one thing. But and and if I have a vision that I that I start associating with my identity, even if it's not an identity that is yet 
earned, if you will. Mm-hmm. But, but I start to see myself in a new light. I'm going to become this. And then every day I take action towards that. It's like, especially when there's little wins that I can celebrate, mm. I feel like I feed those, those thoughts. Mm. And where I've been successful, you know, with Global Citizen, it was a crazy idea to throw a music festival mm. for 70,000 people in nine months, you know, and, re- and do all the things that we did as a team to make it happen. But we segment every little win we would celebrate. And every time we get thrown off course, which inevitably happens mm. with any goal, we would do exactly as you said, which was, uh, okay, what, like you were talking about with your daughter, what could I do? I don't want to do within mm. the context of yeah. this particular frame. And, and it worked because like you said, what, when I had those segments and I started to live into them with new beliefs and then I was, that was bolstered with many successes, that's actually when my identity and my successes started to shift. But where I've just been abstract or obtuse and said, oh yeah, well, I'd love to be, you know, whatever rich next year, mm. or make a million, I, I'm just making that up. And I don't actually have a plan around it. It's yeah. just a thought or a feeling. And it's like, okay, well, I'm attracting this to me. I'm going to, and even if I said that every day for 21 days, it, without the action associated, it feels like it falls flat. So how does one, for lack of a better term, if you plant the seed with your thoughts, how do you actually cultivate the garden? Like how do you, how do you yeah. grow that seed in such a way that it, that it starts to become entrenched? Like, if, if you will, it becomes a, a, well, a well-developed yeah. muscle. So you, whether you want love or wealth or success or health, you always have to do three things. The first is you must believe you're worth it. You know, not believing you're worth it is the biggest thing, the biggest block. There are people who win the lottery, 70% of the lottery winners are dead broke within about three years. How could that be? Because if I won 10 million, I'd never be dead broke. But if you think you're not worth it, you'll get rid of it. There are people who find love and throw it away. Sandra Bullock's husband always said, I was given this amazing girl on a plate and I just messed the whole thing up because he didn't think he was worth it. So the first thing you must do before you go after anything, whether that's love or success or wealth, is sit down and decide you are worth it. And just keep saying, I'm worth it because I'm lovable. I'm worth it because I'm enough. And maybe my parents did say, like, we thought that will never happen or... Who would employ you to do that? And you have to go, but that's their belief. It's not my belief. I'm worth it. So you have to fire that, wire that, code it in. The great thing about the mind is it learns by repetition. It really doesn't care what you tell it. It lets it in, Mm. which is why you might as well tell it great things. And if you've never had someone saying, I believe in you, you're going to be amazing. And you go, I believe in you, you're going to be amazing. Your mind doesn't care where those words come. You know what? It doesn't even know. If you say, I'm going to pretend my dad said, you're a great kid. You're destined for success. You're the smartest kid. You're going to pretend my teacher said, you are the smartest kid in the entire school. I'm going to say that. Your mind doesn't go, who's saying that? And it doesn't care who's saying it. It lets it in. So first decide you're worth it. It doesn't take that long to sink in. Just say it. Say it, say it. You know, Meryl Street, when she went to audition for King Kong, the director said, Meryl, you're not pretty. You'll never get this role. You'll never make it. Go away and do something else. And she said, that's your opinion. In a sea of opinions, I'm going to find a better opinion. And we're all very glad that she did. And there are many people who have made it who were told, you'll never make it. John Lennon was told, you're on the road to nowhere. Some of the most successful artists were told, 
No, I mean, Harry Potter was turned down by quite a few publishers. So were the Beatles. That doesn't mean anything. Some of the smartest people were rejected. Einstein was told he was educationally subnormal. Mm. It doesn't matter what other people say. It matters what you say. I'm worth it, I'm worth it, I deserve it, I'm going for it and I'm going to do it. And then when you've got that installed, then you've got to think, but what am I going to do? Because manifestation is great. I'm going to manifest love by lying on the sofa watching TV all day. I'm going to manifest a job but never go for any interviews. It's not quite like that. The second thing is you must put yourself in front of the people that can help you. You must decide, if I want to be a millionaire, what am I going to do to be a millionaire? And the more ideas you can have of what you could do and who you could help on the way and who would benefit from you being a millionaire, the more reason you'll have to make it. So people get very conflicted with, if I just sit at home and meditate, I'm manifesting the person of my dreams, a millionaire life, but they don't go out and achieve it, that won't really work. For some people it might, but you have to add the intense belief that I'm worth it to the desire to work, because most successful people do work really hard. The difference is they love it. Mm. I mean, I feel like I've never worked a day in my life because I do what I love and I love what I do, but I do actually work really hard. Mm. Sometimes I don't want to do it and I've got a lot on, but I do it. But I always remember not to moan about it and complain about it, go, oh my God, it's so stressful. Um, Having to get on a plane now and go somewhere else and I've just got here. So you've got to have a work ethic. You've got to believe you're worth it. And then you have to think about, you know, what, what could you do? Because, the, for instance, Dyson, who, I mean, he didn't even create anything new. He took an existing hairdryer and made one that cost $800. And people love it. I love it. <laughs> took an existing vacuum cleaner and made it better. Took an existing fan and made it better. You don't even have to think... What could I invent? You could look at someone else's invention and go, you know what, I could make that better. And there are people doing that all over the world, just thinking, I could improve that. Or maybe you're going to work for someone else, and maybe you'll never work for yourself. But if you want to have your own business or get people to fund you, you have to have this belief. And I know teaching people RTTT, that we have people coming on our course And what's interesting is that some of them are so good. I mean, they really get it. And I'm like, what are you doing? They're going, waiting to be perfect. I'm like, have you ever heard of a waitress waiting to be perfect before they go to work? (laughs) You ever heard of a plumber waiting to be perfect? Go and do it. No, I I need to study more. And the other half who say, I've taken that alone and I can't wait. I've got to go out there now and pay this loan back are the ones who do so well. There's some of the ones who are really gifted. They're always waiting for someone else to say you're good, I'm like, look, why don't you say you're good? Because when you work for yourself, whether you're a therapist or a writer or a producer, you don't have anyone going, hey, good job. Because we used to have bosses that said, well done. And now if you're working for yourself, if you don't build that praise muscle, it's going to atrophy. So, you know, when I was writing my first book, I had to say all the time, this book is great, this book is amazing, this book is phenomenal. And it sounds very arrogant, but I couldn't have written it if I didn't say that. Mm-hmm. And when it was published, I got it back, I opened it, I went, she actually, it's not as good as I kept saying it was. I can really see in the first three chapters that I'd never written a book before in my life. When I look at my YouTube videos of me speaking, I can see in the beginning, I didn't have it together 
because I wasn't used to it, but no one cared. It doesn't matter that occasionally you say something wrong. It's only important that you just do it. So, you know, I love that expression, he who hesitates is lost, because sometimes you just have to take a leap of faith. And I see so many people going, I've written a book, I've got this idea, whereas it's in a drawer. Mm-hmm. I'm just waiting for the right time. Well, that right time never comes. Somebody with a less good idea than you will leapfrog you. And you have to you have to be brave too and go, I'm going to send this book out. I'm going to go there and I'm going to do something. So believe in yourself, take action, work hard. And, and be brave, have a leap of faith, send your ideas, share it with someone. Because mm. someone will come along and go, wow, I, I can, we could join hands and make that work. I mean, who would have thought that a woman who just shaped your eyebrows in Beverly Hills would become a millionaire? There are people who are just making one tiny product and it's extraordinary what's happening. You know, the days when you had to go to college and get a degree to be rich and famous, they really don't exist anymore. You can do so many things you'd never have thought of and think, wow, that, that's amazing, like, like the hairdryer. There's lots of things that people create or come up with, and it's an exciting time because you can sit at home and have an idea, and you can monetize that idea, or you can find someone else to monetize it. And if you don't want to do that, you can go and work for someone else. But if you go into a company with a belief, I am so smart, I am an asset to this, they're going to notice how good I am. You'll go up through the ranks very quickly. You know, one of my friends who ended up becoming the head of British television, she started from nowhere in the typing pool, went in to be assistant, and she just worked through the ranks until she was running that company, because everything said, who'll work on New Year's Eve? Me, who'll work on Christmas Day? Me. And she never lost a chance to show them how good she was. I mean, she wanted to work then because she was a bit lonely, but she has become phenomenally successful. And that isn't because she had a degree, because she didn't even go to college. She went straight into television as a runner. But if you're really dedicated and you have that something, people will see it. And how do you get that something? You say, I am amazing. I am phenomenal. I've got something here and people notice what I've got to offer and they like me and they see there's something about me. Because if you say that all the time, it actually becomes true. Mm. I, so I'm really intrigued by this notion of affirmation, especially as it relates to the sort of principal tenet you just mm. underlined of self-worth. Yeah. So I think... If I'm honest, I think, I mean, I know there have been times where I've struggled with, sure, with feeling me too. worthy. Of course. Uh, and I'm sure that's something that's deeply relatable to, to many listening. And I feel like worth is such a, it, it, it just runs so deep. Yeah. And, 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 you know, there's, I think, a fallacy in our, in our culture, especially here uh, in, in the States and, you know, in, in a lot of places, but of... If only I have this, yeah. I'll be the, that, yeah. right? Like if only I have the perfect woman or the perfect man, I'll be happy. If only I have the house or only I made mm. a million dollars, then I'll be happy. Which is totally, by the way, backwards. It's of our, course. It's, it's, our, it's our beingness. Yeah. You know, it's, our, it's the beingness that actually sources the results, not, not you get the results mm. to be something um, in, in terms of you know, material possession, etc. But I do think that there, 
and I love that you use the case of the lottery winner mm. because it's something I use as well. Yeah. It, one of the reasons I, I went, I, I decided to launch Peak Mind was I went from Global Citizen, which I still deeply believe in and is growing and is phenomenal. Uh, this platform that's around, sort of, for lack of a better term, changing the world um, uh, in a way that empowers uh, those who have less opportunity. Uh, our focus is extreme poverty. But with Peak Mind, I, I thought to myself actually, okay. We want to create a transformational context because there are challenges in the world. But if we cha- we can make changes, but just as and perhaps a crass analogy in this case, but but I think an, an apropos one, just as the lottery winner are many professional athletes. If oh, you yeah. don't have the mindset, the, yeah, and you, you have can to create have a mindset, transformation yeah. that then actually goes back. In, in this case, you know, many many go either back to their default income. Many actually go even lower to bankruptcy from a multimillionaire yeah. because. They don't have that worthiness, and they also haven't developed that mindset mm. to be able to hold that change. Yeah, and so I'm. This is this. I'm so excited talking to you because this is so. This is so. What what I've you know been grappling around is, you know, how does one foment that transformational context, right? Because I know that whatever we want to create in the world, mm. it has to start first from within. It's, yeah. my, it's my belief that the world yeah. is a manifestation of our collective internal state, which is why I think this deep work of, for lack of a better term, programming or reprogramming mm. the mind, which is the source from which you know our thoughts, then our feelings, beliefs, actions all come from, is so integral. But I think you hit it so, at least for me, on the head with that notion of worthiness. And I know you've probably worked with countless, I mean, you've worked with some of the most powerful people in the world, but countless people who probably have dealt with this issue. And is there, what are the insights that you can share for those struggling with self-worth challenges around, whether it be through affirmations or other tactics or mindsets that they can utilize to start to see themselves in a different light? And you know, that's so true because when I began to work with like super famous actors who are so insecure, they go, yeah, but you know, people like me because I'm this actor, but that's not me. I can go on stage and I can be amazing, but it's not really who I am. And there's a great story about Laurence Olivier being on stage in the UK. And he was amazing one night, just extraordinary. And he came, he got, I think, 14 standing ovations. He finally got back to his dressing room. All the press, they said, don't write about that. They're like, why? He goes, I don't know where it came from. If you write about it and I can't do it tomorrow, I'm going to disappoint everybody. And you see many actors, in fact, many famous people become famous because they don't feel enough. It's I don't think I'm worthy enough. But hey, if I could become a movie star or an Olympic athlete or maybe a supermodel, then everybody would love me. And the drive is I'll go over there. And they're all loving. When they get over there, they go, yeah, but I'm still the same person. I've just, I fooled everyone, but they can't fool themselves. And it's because it's quantified. I love you because you're a great actress. I love you because you're a great athlete. I love you because you look so good. You see, you'd never say to your kid, although some people do, I love you because you're really well behaved. I love you because you're really smart. But you see, we do do that. And then we start to think, Oh, that's why you love me. And if I wasn't, you wouldn't. You know, most women, if if their partner said, I love you because you've got really big breasts, they go, well, that doesn't sound right. I mean, well, if I didn't have them, I got breast cancer or they got all old and droopy. Would that mean you'd take off? So when you hear, I love you because you are smart, it's like saying to a guy, I love you because you've got a really healthy bank balance. They go, well, I don't feel comfortable with that. Mm. 
But that's what we do, you see. We're all in this, I'm going to be something to get loved. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to have a six-pack. I'm going to look gorgeous. I'm going to get things snipped off, taken off, added in, injected in, lasered away. I'm going to earn more, do more. And now you're trying to get love because. And so you have to stop and go, I, I'm lovable just the way I am. And I'm worthy just the way, and I'm significant just the way I am. Because we all love that song, I love you just the way you are. We go, oh, I want that. Mm -hmm. That's what I want. But you have to love you just the way you are to be worth it. And people go, yeah, but I've got fat legs. And, you know, apparently you've got to have thin thighs and fat hair. But I've got fat thighs and thin hair. So where am I going with that? But the thing is, if you hate yourself, you feel dissatisfied and you keep going, I love myself just the way I am. I'm enough just the way I am. I'm significant right now. Actually, then you feel motivated to think, well, you know, I am lovable, so I'm going to stop with the cakes and stop with the self-sabotage. I'm going to go to the gym and eat better food and go in and get a pay rise and get a promotion because I'm worth it. But the problem is you're trying to get the promotion to prove you're worth it. Mm. And actually, when you know you're worth it, you'll get the promotion or the guy or the girl. Yeah, it's, we get it the wrong way around. Uh, I'll go to the gym, do all this stuff, and then I'll find it. But when you find it, believing you're not worth it, you'll get rid of it just like the lottery winners. So believe you're worth it first. People say, how do I do that? Just keep doing it. I'm lovable. I'm lovable over and over and over again until it sinks in. And when you say these things to your mind, it will go, yeah, but you're not really lovable, are you? Because look, come on, you've, you, you're overweight. But it's actually, it's you saying that. It's not your mind. So just say, yeah, that's true, but I'm still lovable, still lovable. And then first you run out of objections. And secondly, your mind goes, you know, you say this every day, must be true. Then it sinks in. And then you have the inspiration to do something because you're coming from, I'm enough, not, well, I'm not really enough. I'll fool everyone I'll never fool myself. Mm. So good. It just it just evoked for me this exercise I did once called the ten levels of why. Yeah. And you think about oh, what do I deeply want? It's like okay, well, I say I want something, and then you ask yourself, but why? And then for every answer, you go mm. deeper into the why. And and so often, I think what we're pursuing is that desire to fill some hole we feel within ourselves. Cool. Yeah, the emptiness inside. It, exactly. And, and but for the you know and and I think so it's one thing to say okay I'm committed to a different path and and to start I think putting in habits if you will mindsets that are for lack of a better term nourishing mm. as opposed to a lot of the ways myself included that we often sabotage that you know what, what, I have not yet, although I will now, and this is one of the things I absolutely love about this process and this podcast. And by the way, I totally resonate with what you were saying mm. in regards to you just started. You know, yeah. it's like I'm sure I'll go back and look at the first episode or whatnot mm. with horror. Uh, you know, and I'm sure three years from now I'll be. You know, mm. things will have evolved. But the iterative process, in other words, for me, just putting that, like stacking a win has mm. been so nourishing and valuable and it has created a momentum unto itself. And so did I start off saying I'm the best podcaster in the world? No, I started off looking at all the big podcasts and thinking, mm. well, I shouldn't even start. I mean, look at these guys out I there. Know. They're huge. They've been in it for 10 years. But, but interestingly enough, 
in doing so, which is kind of like my own version of affirmation, if you will, and committing mm. to just every week, okay, every week I'm putting on a show, so I've got to do whatever I've got to do to put that out. It's led to success. That said, in the context of, as I'm understanding it, affirmations, I'd love to actually deepen that. I'd like to yeah. deepen my worthiness and yeah. I'd like to deepen my ability to call forward, not from a place of neediness, but from mm. a place of worthiness, some of the things that I see still deeply yearn for in, in life. What would that look like for, for, for me uh, and for perhaps those listening? Like, is it like right now I do the gratitude practice. I have a morning meditation practice. Is it, you know, I, I love Julia Cameron, the morning pages. Mm. Do you have a particular recommendation that people can apply tactically in this context of affirmation to start to deepen that sense of worthiness? Yeah. You know, I love Muhammad Ali who said, I told myself I was the greatest before I was. He said, and I really wasn't, but I told myself I was the greatest before I knew I was. Yeah. Then I became it. So my favorite affirmation is I'm enough. I founded the I'm enough movement because with all the clients I see, every addict I see, every binger, every hoarder, every compulsive shopper, even if people are addicted to screen time, let me see how many likes I've got. I've got to go back and am I getting any comments? It's all what they're really saying is, am I enough? Mm. So start with a simple affirmation, I'm enough. When you start with an affirmation, hey, I'm a rock star, I got my rock moves, your mind goes, yeah, but you're sharing an apartment with four other people. You're not a rock star. <laughs> when you go, hey, you know, life is just a wonderful day and the sun is shining, then you go, but not really, because today it's raining and it's cold and it's not a sunny day. So a lot of our affirmations, we mean well, but we find affirmations that are unrealistic. Life is a walk in the park. Every day the sun is always shining. It's not always like that. Sometimes things come up to challenge you. But So take a simple affirmation, I'm enough. Its strength is in its simplicity and in its honesty. And then wire it into your world. So put it on your fridge magnets, write it on a blackboard, write it across your headboard in marker pen or stickers if you don't want to damage it, write it on your mirror, put it on your screens, put it on your phone alerts, change all your passwords, obviously very, very securely so that someone in the squiggles and dots and letters, you have the words, I am enough. And now you're going to type it every day. You're going to see it. You're going to read it every day. And it will sink in just the way lotion sinks into dry skin. And it will nourish your soul just the way lotion nourishes dry skin. And make that your first affirmation because they shouldn't be hard work. You know, if you're starting to write a hundred things in a book every day and then reading all these books and adding more stuff to your mood. I mean, I think mood boards or vision boards are great. I have one. Everything on it's come true. I believe in all of that. But what happens is we start to make it work. I, I need to meditate for half an hour and I've got to meditate again. And now I've got to write all this stuff and I've got to read this stuff and I've got to get in the zone. I've got to quiet my mind. Your mind isn't designed to be quieted, by the way. They'll say, I'm trying to sit in the gap but I can't find it, and I'm trying to be in the stillness. The mind isn't even meant to be quietened. So just start with I'm enough, or I'm lovable, or I matter, or I'm significant, or don't use I have a dream, because you know often we're dreaming, I think, oh, well, I dream of that happening. Say I will, I am, I always, I can. Because when you say I'm dreaming of love, or I'm 
oh, I wish I could find the perfect person for me, or if only, you're already believing it's not going to happen because that's what a dream and a wish is. When you go, I am finding love, I will magnetize to me the person in my dreams because what I want wants me and what I'm moving towards is moving towards me. Make it easy on yourself. I see some of those people who make it such hard work. It's like people who go to the gym for two hours and we know that if you work hard for 15 minutes, you get the same result. You don't need to do that. Don't, you know, beat yourself up by making meditating, manifesting hard work. Mm. Take a step back. Make, make your resolution to say I'm enough to write it, say it. Like you could print it on your pillow. You could mm. print it on a cushion. You could do anything. Someone said recently they just stuck it on their light switch. So every day when they switch it on and off, they see the words and, and then they remember to say them out loud. So find something simple. I am magnetizing myself and I'm becoming phenomenally successful. I've got this great idea and I'm bringing it to reality. I'm making it work. Because, you know, I, I've always believed, and I tell people this, and a lot of people quote it now, which I rather like, because I used to quote other people. And it's amazing that other people quote me, but I used to say to all my clients, look, here's the truth. Belief without talent will take you further than talent without belief. Hmm. But if you have both, you're unstoppable. So if you have a talent and a belief that you're going to make it and you marry those two together, you'll do better than someone who's got a lot of talent, no belief. We, I, I wrote a book. I never had it published. I had an idea, but I didn't have the courage to take it somewhere. I saw someone I really liked, but I never spoke to them because they might have rejected me. So to make it even easier, understand the rules of your mind, and they're very simple. The way you feel about everything is down to the pictures you make in your head and the words you say to yourself. And you can change them like that. You can stop saying, I'm sick. Just say, actually, I have a slight cold. I'm, having a slight cold is not sick, but I'm sick. I'm so sick. No, you're not. You have a little bit of a cold. Take a pill. Take some time in bed. It, it will pass. So understand that the words you use affect you. So you should really maximize good words, phenomenal, amazing, outstanding, but minimize the others. Oh, it's a nightmare. I've crashed and burned. I'm just a complete mess. Don't say it. Just say, I'm a little tired. I, I, um, yeah, I, 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 I messed that up this weekend. But I learned and I'm bouncing back. But if you understand how the mind works, it responds to words, it responds to pictures, it works only in the present tense. Everything you say is a blueprint that it must work towards. And its job is not to make you happy, it's to keep you on the planet. So when you say, my job is killing me, I'd rather die than go on stage and talk to people. It would kill me if I got rejected by this guy or this girl. Your mind believes that's true. When you say, I'd give anything for a week in bed, and you wake up the next week with a flu, that's manifesting. And if you can manifest, why not manifest something better? It's like people go, I knew I'd get ghosted. I knew that guy would ghost me. I knew that girl would find someone better. Well, you made that happen and stop doing that and just use the same power to make something better happen. I've gone on whatever you're the latest dating site, and there's something about me. 
I may not have the thinnest thighs or the biggest bank balance. I may not look like this, but I have got something because there's lots of men that were women who don't look anything like a supermodel who are blissfully happy with them. There's lots of women who've got very ordinary husbands who love them. There's lots of people who've got a lot of money and a big business, and they're not the smartest people, but they have that belief. So give yourself the belief. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, give yourself, go and find, you know, if you had everything you wanted, how would you feel? And what would you have to believe to get what you want? You'd have to believe you're worth it. Mm. And everything comes back to that. Everything comes back to believing you're enough for love, enough for success, you know, enough for wealth, and enough to go out and get what you want. But if you believe you're worth it, and it's not even that difficult because no baby says, you know, I, I just can't get to grips with this walking thing. It's so <laughs> difficult. I just, every time I try to put a banana in my mouth, it goes in my hair, in my ear. I, I can't get to grips with this eating thing. Babies are so driven. They just, they don't do no. They keep going until they get it. And if you watch a baby trying to stand up or trying to walk, they just, they won't quit because everything in their mind says, if you keep going, you'll get it. And humans, it's the same. If you keep going with belief and hard work, you'll get it, but you have to be able to go there. And the biggest thing that holds people back is this fear of rejection. That's mm. really the number one thing because it wasn't that long ago that we died from rejection. We're in a tribe mm -hmm. and you're acting out. So they banished you. And now what are you gonna do? I mean, what can you do if you get banished, cast out? marooned, isolated. And so all cultures used banishing people to make them conform. And so we have this fear inside, if you reject me, I'll die. Well, actually, you won't. Mm -hmm. You could live until you're 110, get Amazon to all your groceries and never see anyone, and you still won't die. I mean, it's not a great life, but you have to understand that what used to kill us doesn't kill us, but it feels like it could. And then you have to go, right, I can't be rejected. I can go to someone with this idea that could go, no thanks. But I can still carry on. I can ask someone out and go, no. I can go, okay, I'll just ask someone else out. Mm -hmm. So if you can get past this belief that being rejected will kill you, it doesn't kill you. I mean, most people, like for me, I look back and think, wow, I'm so glad my boyfriend rejected me. Because if he hadn't, I wouldn't be here. I'm so glad I got kicked out of college because I'd have been a teacher, not a therapist. I'm so glad that my boyfriend dumped me because then I met my husband. I'm so, all the things I look back in my life and many of them, what we all have, being fired, being dumped, being rejected, being passed over, being replaced. And we think that's gonna kill me. But sometimes it can be the best thing that ever happened to you, you just don't know that. So beautifully said, and it's so true because so many, so many of the traumas, so many of the challenges. You know, Ryan, I interviewed Ryan Holiday recently, and he wrote a book called "The Obstacle Is the Way," which I totally recommend. Yeah, but it is. It, it's so true, right? It's it, it, challenges oftentimes when we see our greatest growth, and and it is. I mean, it's it's the frame, right? It's like. And, and by the way, not to in any way make little of some of the profound challenges people have experienced, but the, there's, <clears throat> there's no power in identifying continuously as a victim. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and 
oftentimes if we look at the challenge as an opportunity, right? Because we can't control perhaps what happened to us, but we can control our yeah. response to it, right? Yeah. That's our responsibility. And the choice of empowering beliefs that reframe the narrative, yeah. it's so fascinating because I've, I've seen and, and interviewed folks who have been debilitated by a particular story that they just mm. keep replaying I like know. a broken record yeah. in their mind and it becomes like it's the it's the place they're living out of yeah whereas others who have had i'll give a, a very cogent example i was in haiti after the earthquake volunteering there's a gentleman named wilford Massena. lost his like got cut off in a he was a welder got mm. cut off in an earthquake the man literally talk about a, someone who keep, kept going. He carried this leg with him for seven days, all the way to Dominican Republic. Of course, mm. at that time, it couldn't be; it was no longer healthy to be uh, reaffixed. Uh, but he, I was with him the day he got his prosthesis. Mm. So, literally, reckoning with the fact that he's got a plastic mm. leg for the rest of his life. Now, most people would have an existential breakdown because it's just a further reminder. This guy, literally. I, within half an hour, starts kicking a soccer ball and starts breakdancing. It was like it was the best day on earth. He got like a new leg. Right? Yeah. He wasn't living in mm. the victimization of it. And just to close off the story quickly, he winds up he winds up going from a welder to then becoming a maker of prosthetics for children who have right. also lost a limb. He starts a soccer league for all amputees. He then starts a soccer league for women and children who, mm. have, who have amputations. And then he gets invited by the U.S. government to come train U.S. soldiers returning from Iraq and mm. Afghanistan yeah. in doing the same uh, with uh, prosthetics. So just to say, like, it just it brought it up for me because I think it's so powerful when we see our challenge, the opportunity in our challenges. Yeah. And I think I lo- it was so eloquently said, uh, this notion of... You know, we've all been passed over. We've all been rejected. And, and, and as you said, tribally, that, that was a death sentence, perhaps. Absolutely, it was, yeah. But it, but it isn't any longer. No. No. Is there any, anything, if there, in a moment of rejection, do you have any, uh, this is, do you have any ways in which you, you find really helpful to reframe quickly? Yeah. I mean, one, I, I tell people that because I used to be an advice columnist and people write to me and go, you know, my husband, we were so in love and now he's gone. I'm like, look. Everything he loved in you has not gone with him. He didn't pack that in his luggage. (laughs) He loved you for 15 years. You were the love of his life. And it's a shame that he's found someone else and he's got bored. But everything he loved in you is still in you. And now you can go out and see. That was your starter marriage. It's like I had a starter home. I loved it for years. And I thought, I need a better home now. It's not big enough. Uh And I went to get another home. And then I grew out of that one. I mean, we shouldn't talk about relationships like homes. But... Whatever someone loved in you, they didn't take it with them when they left. Mm. It's still there. And the best thing about any breakup is, what did you learn? Go to the next relationship. It'll be even better. Sometimes we pick the wrong people at the wrong time. And sometimes we just, you know, we're going to live until we're 105. I mean, it's hard to be with a guy you were with at 18. I mean, we used to only live until we were 50, and by then we were exhausted. So <laughs> it's almost normal. You know, people say, I'm, I feel like a failure because my marriage ended. But sometimes it, it didn't end. It ran its course, like friendships, and you grow out of people. Mm-hmm. But you can have another one. And, you know, you were talking a minute ago about the, the, the control You see, the law of control begins and ends with your thoughts. Your thoughts control your feelings. Your feelings control your actions. 
and your actions control your events. So if you change your thinking, somebody loved me once. I remember them ringing up and going, I just rang to hear your voice. I love everything about you. You're amazing. And now I can go out and someone else can see that in me, but now I'm even better. I had a relationship for 15 years or five years or five months. I can have another one. I've got the template. And often people who've had a long relationship will have another one very quickly. Their partner dies or leaves and they find someone else. It's the ones who never have one who struggle. I just can't find anybody. Um, you're more likely to be abducted by a Martian after 40 than find someone to love you. That's so not true. I mean, people are all around you. Love is everywhere. It's in the store. It's on the street. It's, it's on the bus or the train you're on. But you've got to be open to it and go, I am lovable. So if, you want to, if you've been rejected and you want love, it's the same thing as if you want wealth. I'm lovable. I've always been lovable. I always will be lovable. I'm enough. I am not my weight or shape or size or years or bank account. I'm not the numbers on the scales or my birth certificate or my bank account, but I am lovable. If you wire that into yourself and then put yourself around people, you'll end up going home with one. Mm. Some people just do the first bit, I'm lovable, but I'm not going out. Mm. Or I'm a girl, but I go to yoga with all my girlfriends. Well, there's no men there. Go to the weight room. You might not want to, but be proactive. And for guys, you should be going to the yoga class. You should be going <laughs> and go into yoga. So if you believe you're lovable and put yourself around people, you mean don't go to bars, go somewhere go to IT class or somewhere that people that are interesting. I mean, they're everywhere. You'll find love because it's all around you. Believe you're worth it, but also take action. Many people take action. They go out where people are, but they don't believe they're worth it. Mm. And they go on to dating sites. I'm going to get ghosts. I'm going to get dumped. It's never going to work. All the guys on here are looking for someone of 25. All the women on here are looking for someone wealthy, and that simply isn't true. So taking the action without changing thought. Remember, your thoughts control your feelings. Your feelings control your actions. Your actions control events. So change the thinking. And then you can go on a dating site and go, hey, I, I'm amazing. I'm, I'm just radiant here. I've got this glow. Everyone who looks at my picture is going to see something about that person. Because if you believe that enough, then you can make it real. You can make anything real because your beliefs become real. That's why it's really bad to hold beliefs that like, I'm not good enough, nobody wants me. My dad left when I was one, how could I ever find love? My mom always wanted a girl and had me and now I just don't feel wanted and it's always going to be that way. You know, you, whatever belief you have, you're gonna make it real. You make your beliefs and then your beliefs make you and then the weirdest thing of all is that the world starts to mirror and match whatever you have chosen to be. If you believe that dogs are vicious and they're gonna get you, they won't like you because they pick up your energy. You go, well, I love dogs. They're the most loyal thing. If you believe that people are out to rip you off, you'll find that more than someone that says, actually, I'm gonna do an experiment and go out today believing that everyone's mean and vicious and dishonest. And tomorrow I'm gonna to go out believing they're all, I'm gonna go out with a little map and act lost and say maybe it will help me. And if I believe people are good and kind, the world will start to feed back what you believe. So you make your beliefs. Your beliefs make you, but the world feeds back what you've chosen to believe. 
So you better make better beliefs because they will be a part of who you are. That brought up a lot. Yeah, it's it's so true because I, I feel in my own beliefs, like I, I was, what came up for me, a very tangible example, I have a story, which mm. I just, when you were talking, I was like, I'm letting that story go. Yeah. And the story is, you know, you obviously moved from the UK. I moved from New York City. And my story is, especially around uh, women in, in L.A., is I thought, and it's kind of a funny story. People get a, a laugh, so I get yeah. fed by it in that way. But I say, my challenge, it's in business and, and in part in dating. The story I share is, you know, everyone hears a soft yes. In other words, I'm a yes, but I'm not actually a yes. In New York, what I loved about it, and you, this goes to rejection, People are a hard yes or a hard no. Yeah. But the beauty of a hard yes or a hard no is it frees you up. You know exactly mm. where they stand. Whereas here, I find, I have found, I'm going to change this mm. story, that I, uh, uh, people are a soft yes. In other words, they'll say yes, but then they'll, you know, they, they check their astrological horoscope or they check the traffic mm. or they see if they get a better option. Yeah. And then they'll maybe or maybe not show up. And so my great, my great challenge, I love living here. And the story I was living out of was... But the one thing I don't love is it's a culture of soft yes. Yeah. I now recognized in listening to you that I'm attracting that of because I like, to, I like to tell it. that story yeah. and I expect it. You expect it. And also, it. what I de- and this is the deeper cut as you were talking, was I recognize also that I have trust issues mm. because, or I had trust issues because I have been, I've been disappointed enough by people not quote unquote, not yeah. showing up. So that's an ineffective story that I'm living mm. out of. So if I wanted to reframe that narrative, yeah. what would you suggest to be the best way to do so? I would work out where that comes from if you can, and then keep saying, that's not me anymore. It's mm. it's not me. You know, I have a story. I don't really tell it anymore because I've almost forgotten it. But my story for a long time when I was younger was I was a middle kid. My brother was brilliant. My sister was beautiful. And engaging like all little baby sisters are. And I just felt like there was this thing in the middle. I thought I was hideously ugly and not very smart. And my brother went to private school and I didn't because I wasn't, I didn't pass the exams. And so I always felt like this really unattractive thing. And I always wanted to be the favorite. And then one day I just decided to tell myself that I was. And I began to go, I'm the favorite, I'm the favorite. And the strangest thing happened is that I became both my parents and both my grandparents' absolute favorite. I was grown up by then. So actually when I got it, I didn't really need it. But it was interesting to see that you can do that. You can decide to tell yourself anything. I'm compelling. I'm magnetic, you know. Uh, women find me amazingly compelling and they just love my company or the opposite. So, it, you know, we are what we believe and anywhere in the world there'd be someone who'd love to be with you. But we block ourselves with these limiting thoughts. I can't go there. I can't do that. You know, when I was growing up, I, would, I couldn't even have imagined for a nanosecond that I would be on stage teaching my method all over the world, seeing politicians and prime ministers and thinking, what do they want to see me for? And to this day, you know, I have people who send me limos or send me their private plane. And I still think, why are they calling me? And I mean, who am I to go and tell them what to do? And last year I went and got picked up and got taken to this really amazing actor's house. And he was waiting in the drive and he said, I'm so honored you've come to see me. I'm like, you're honored? I mean, honestly, I'm so honored. (laughs) I even get to see this incredible house and this life. And it's very easy to think, 
who am I? But who are you not? You know, you've got a good heart. You're gorgeous. I mean, somebody's going to fall in love with your soul, but you have to tell yourself that first, that why wouldn't they? And then you you have to not do... Because it's that quantifying where we started. Why would they love me? They're going to get what we call the BBB, the bigger, better offer. There is no bigger, better offer. You know, I remember years and years ago, before I was with my lovely husband... um, I was in L.A., I was dating someone, and I was on a show, and a man I dated many years ago called me and said, hey, you know, I I just saw you, and you should come over. And he said, you know, if you go to Tahini, I've got this house, and you see this black jagger, and I went to meet him, and after half an hour, I thought, oh, my God, I cannot wait to get out of his room. You know, I got this, (laughs) this table came from this place in Paris, and he was talking about, he said, and my girlfriend, you know, she's a B model, I said, oh, I, you graded women like eggs. I went, yeah, she's not an A model. She's a B model. I'm like, That's, do you grade people like oh, eggs? And I remember thinking, I can't wait to go back to my normal boyfriend in his normal house. I just couldn't wait to escape from that because it was so fake and so unattractive. And I, and then I had to pretend to call myself. I did that, you know, I thought, oh, I've got a text. Oh, so sorry, I've got to go. And I was like, oh, my God, the relief to get out of there. <laughs> Because what people like is real people. You know, so many of my clients who are rich and famous say, I just want somebody warm. And supermodels get left all the time because people want somebody warm and interesting and they just want someone they can talk to. You know, it's, it's, we, again, we keep thinking we've got to be better to get love, richer, taller, better six-pack, you know, more engaging when really all you have to do is be yourself, and that's what Billy Joel said. You don't go changing to try to please me. I just want someone to talk to. I like you just the way you are, and really that's what everybody wants. And I have so many clients who are models who get left because their boyfriends go, I just, I can't deal with them. It's like having a racehorse, the upkeep, the the neediness, am I okay, do I look okay? They just find it such a turn-off, and they tend to go off with eventually with someone who's nothing like that because it's too much work. Yeah, well said. I think the other piece is that just occurred to me is also I think it's who you're, you know, the people you're surrounding yourself with. You mentioned earlier, it was like have the belief but also take action to put yourself out there. And there's fascinating studies, actually Harvard did one about, you know, the greatest correlation to your long-term health and happiness is the the quality of your long-term relationships. And so it's interesting (coughs) sometimes also... Coming from stemming from whether that be the worthiness mm-hmm. or the enoughness, whether you're seeking supermodels or going to the, you know the bar because you don't feel worthy, mm. and seeking someone who's you know emotionally unavailable or whatever it is. Yeah. Oftentimes, the if we shape our world based on the people we're 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 pursuing because mm. we're you know our time is our most valuable resource. Who are we spending our time with? You know, yeah. I find. And that's also been one of the great rewards of of this podcast is I'm now encountering the people that I admire, that I that I can learn from, and and it's making a tangible difference in my life. And so, I just want to honor you Um, and and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Um, It's uh, it's been so you've shared so many so many wonderful thoughts. Where 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 can people find you online? What's the best way for people to connect? If you go to marissapeer.com, we have 
lots of free products, wealth blocks, love blocks, health blocks. You give them all away. They're completely free. So marissapeer.com. If you want to find out more about I'm Enough, we actually have a whole website called imenough.com. We give away lots of the chapters of that too. And if you want to either find an RTT therapist or indeed become one, go to rtt.com and you'll find out how to do it because it's amazing. It really is. Uh, The rapid transformation, I'm going to be working on uh, the affirmations in part, but I'm also going to set some very direct new uh, both beliefs and affirmations Mm. as well as action plans after this conversation. And it's so important because you see what a lot the quantifying again is a lot of people go out and they get could you make me feel good about myself? Could you make me feel beautiful or interesting or handsome or engaging? And they go, yeah, sure, I can do that for you, of course. Sometimes they'll go, no, you know, you're not right for me. But sometimes we give people permission to make us feel good. But the problem is if you give someone permission to make you feel good, if you find someone to make you feel better about yourself, you've now given them the power to make them Make you feel bad about yourself. Go under the gate. I'm bored with you now. I found someone taller, richer, much more interesting than you. And it's like, oh no, I gave you my consent to make me feel good. And now you've left, you've made me feel bad. And so the reason for feeling good about yourself, not only does it make you way more attractive, because confidence is the sexiest thing in the entire world, Mm -hmm. in women and men. But also, if you give it to yourself, somebody can't take that with them if it doesn't work out. I mean, mm. sometimes people die, you know, they don't all leave you, but we still get left, things happen. But if you put it into yourself, then nobody can take that away from you, and it makes you more, much more interesting and compelling to the person you want to be with. But it also means that if for whatever reason it didn't work, it's still in you, you haven't given them your power. And so, it's amazing to be in a relationship, but you have to believe you're worth being in one alone before you can go in one. Otherwise, you'll always be needy, and that's the very opposite of being confident and sexy is being needy and really unsexy. Spot on. I, th- I was thinking about that, actually. Um, yesterday, I, I, did a, uh, I was in a beautiful place and got some wonderful compliments, and I was like, and my phone was dead, and I was like, oh, you know... Um, Man, I should, I should remember that. That was a very nice. That was very nice yeah. feedback. And what was interesting was, I thought to myself, exactly that. It was very wonderful feedback, yeah. but it's also it's a reflection true. of them and whatever yeah. the mirror. And you know, just as just as that's wonderful, and I can take it in and, and delight in it, I also need to know that that is just that I, I can see that myself because yeah. just just as easily someone can come and give me terrible feedback, yeah. which may have nothing to do with me, but the story they're living out of. Yeah. And then if I make that my identity, mm. then I'm trapped. So either way, you're kind of trapped yeah. if you are deferring to others for your self-worth. Yeah, because the most important words you'll ever hear in your entire life are the words you say to yourself. You don't have to believe them, to say them. When we depend on other people to make us feel good, we're, we're now needy. When you can... And for everyone out there, if you just think about what you'd like to, what would a great partner or a great boss or a great client say to you, if you say it to yourself, I'm worth it, I'm great, I've got something, I'm really good at my job, this is my gift, this is my area of excellence, or I'm warm and kind and engaging and I'm unforgettable. If you say that to yourself, you'll make it real. Marissa Peer, thank you so much. Final question. 
What's your definition of a peak mind? I would say a mind at peace is a peak mind, a mind that's not always looking for more. It's, it's knowing that you're enough and being at peace with being enough. Mm. That would be a peak mind for me, being at peace with who you are and where you are, which doesn't mean you're not going to go further, but it, you're not in that race. Could not be more salient, more potent. But the exact thought I had as I was walking out of yoga today was, it's our cravingness for mm, more. For more. That actually is the is the, the root of all of our uh, suffering. Yeah, and then when, when you crave more, it's a bit like you've got into a race, but as you get to the finishing line, it moves and it moves and it moves, <laughs> and you can never complete that race. And it's fine to want more, but it's also really important to go, you know, where I am now, because it's like trying to go towards happiness. Happiness is, is an inside job. It's a journey. People go, I'll be happy when? When my kid's out of diapers, when my kid's in school, when, when we've arrived at the holiday, when I've lost 10 pounds, when I've got a bigger home, when I've got a six-pack. And then you look back and think, wow, I spent all those months waiting to be happy when actually I look back and think, God, I was great then. What was I thinking about <laughs> worrying about waiting to be happy? Because there is no destination called happiness or peace or enough. It's where you are now. It's the journey, not the destination. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Sage wisdom. Check out Marissa Peer. She's uh, full of uh, profound insights. So honored to have you on the show. Oh, well, I'm honored to be here. Thank you very much. Thank you. And there you have it, my episode with Marissa Peer. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I got a tremendous amount of value. I love how she kind of distills things down into very relatable examples and stories. And I'm definitely going to work on putting affirmations into action such that I start to retool and reframe some of the limiting beliefs that have been holding me back. So I hope you uh, really enjoyed the episode. If you did, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Um, your five-star reviews mean the world to me because it helps us move up the algorithm and get more listeners to this wonderful community. Uh, you can always leave me feedback at Michael Trainer on Instagram and go ahead and tag me. I love it when you do and let me know where you're listening and what you uh, gathered from the episode, what value you got out of it. I love when you guys reach out. I love the feedback and uh, I just love this community. So thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you're having an amazing day and please go out there and live your inspired life.